1: We've got a favor to ask you at Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Our audience has tripled pretty recently, and we'd like to know what the new listeners think. So we're asking everybody who listens to this podcast to do us a favor, take a survey at cleveland.com slash today survey, and let us know how you heard of us, what you think of us, and what else you'd like to hear us talking about. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's a snowy Tuesday, and Lisa, you're in that zone that has no water today. And yes, I pronounce water like a kid from New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, there's a big water main break in Richmond Heights on Highland Road. It's affecting five communities, so I've been without water since 4.30 this morning, out putting snow in a bucket so I can melt it and flush my toilet this morning
1: that's 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 rough wow. it? Yep. <laughs> that's suburban rough it. it's
0: like pioneer stuff <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right let's get to our discussion in just eight years Akram Boutros has rebuilt MetroHealth from a broken-down foundering hospital system into one of the best pos- public hospital systems in the nation so why has he decided to call it quits at the end of next year Layla, I guess there are some people in his circle that knew he'd been thinking about this, but I got to say, I found this to be a shocker.
0: Yeah, we were all kind of taken by surprise. He's stepping down basically in the middle of... A pandemic. <laughs> and just as the hospital is about to complete this enormous transformation of its main campus, but he says he's not stepping down to take another job. He said he he simply accomplished the work he set out to do. That includes the construction of, of a new main campus in Cleveland, bringing online two new medical centers in Parma and Cleveland Heights, doubling the system's revenues, and, and establishing the Institute of Hope, which seeks to address the social determinants of health, things like food, housing, and transportation and security for the, the patients that MetroHealth uh, serves. And Boutros told Courtney Astolfi that, that every agency needs a change agent, a, a disruptor. And, and that's what he was for MetroHealth. But that intense period of transformation must come to an end and give way to a period of rest. That's kind of how he described it. What's interesting about this, though, is that just two months ago, Boutros was before our editorial board and said that... He's in it for the long haul. You, Chris had asked him whether he would see through all the big plans he had and stick around and he said if the board will have me. He he literally said I belong here as far as I'm concerned. I never knew what a life's calling is until I came to Metro Health. So, I'll stay here and, you know, complete this, but according to the board chair, he had mentioned wanting to step away from his from this job about 18 months ago just as the pandemic was really gaining momentum. I'm not sure we, we fully know what went into his decision here, but there's no question that MetroHealth is a stronger institution today than it was when Boutros found it.
1: Well, a few things i got to say. I, I've known Akram pretty well since I went through Leadership Cleveland with him in 2014 and 2015, and he and I have talked regularly. And I, I really I find him to be one of the stellar leaders of Cleveland during his time here. What he did with MetroHealth is you can't mm-hmm. understate over I mean overstate what he's done. I mean that place was broke. It was laying people off. The previous guy was giving contracts to his former firm. I mean the whole thing stunk. And today it's it's just so different. It's it's making money. It's a much bigger organization and he's pretty beloved as a leader. I, I was taken aback because over the years he's said to me repeatedly, this is it. This is the last job. This is what I want. Public health is my calling. I want to do it. But even in that interview you mentioned, Layla, he did say that when I'm done, I'll hand it over to somebody, and he said better than me, to manage it day to day. And he says he'll be done at the end of next year. So so even though he made it sound like in that interview two months ago, I'm not going anywhere, he did lay the groundwork. And, you know, if you're the leader of a system like that, when we ask that question, you can't say, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving one of these days, but I don't know when. Because it just disrupts everybody who's there. And so he, I think he navigated that well. I don't know. I do...
0: if, if he had been thinking about it for 18 months, it is a little disingenuous to tell the, the editorial board that, oh... Absolutely. Positively. I mean, he said those words. I, I, if the board will have me, this is a life's calling. That's going a little far if you are uh, months into discussing whether you're ready to hand it over.
1: I, I question the 18-month thing. What I suspect happened is he was talking to the board 18 months ago very seriously about a succession plan. That and which a lot of CEOs and executives talk about. They 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 believe there should be a succession plan. The other side of that coin is is if you have a succession plan, it's really easy to replace you. So a lot of CEOs don't make it easy. But I believe he probably was talking to the board about that. He's brought in a lot of quality people, and he has a vision for the future. Uh, I I'd be surprised if he if he was truly saying. In, in two months after the pandemic was in its full flower, hey, hey, let's start planning for me to be gone at the end of next year or at the end of 2022. And th- th- look, the thing is, he's he's done remarkable work. He when he leaves, he'll have been here just shy of 10 years. He did say in the interview that we did with him yesterday, that 10 years is pretty much the, the upper limit for a change agent CEO, that it is time for somebody to move on. And I do. I I hope they get somebody who can carry it on. He's done remarkable things. I feel bad. We know some of the people that took jobs at Metro Health because of him, and I'm sure they're all feeling a bit let down now because the guy they took the job to work with, this inspiring Cleveland figure, is <laughs> leaving them behind.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. But like you said, he's done incredible things. Ushered in a whole era of change transformed the the facility and um you know and also you know i i i feel like we we, it bears mentioning that metro health under his leadership was one of the first institutions in cleveland to embrace the 15 dollar minimum wage and now i think their their minimum wage at the hospital is up to 16 dollars. i mean they are they really are committed to treating their employees uh with dignity and um that was that was an akram boutros uh you know policy change that that he felt very passionately about so
1: Right, and when the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals refused to do so, he mandated vaccines for the for the, the staff, That's there, right, which was right. a bold move. His campus plan wasn't some insular cancer plan. He had, the whole plan is to rejuvenate the entire neighborhood. Look, the guy is a visionary. I mean, he's brought so many things to to Cleveland, and he says he's staying. I hope he does, and and I hope his next chapter he continues to provide leadership because he has been a special person for Cleveland when Cleveland doesn't have a lot of them. So we'll have to see. Hell, maybe he'll join the Justin Bibb administration, although I guess (laughs) it'll it'll be a year too late. We'll see. He did did adamantly say he's not running for county executive. He's had some notorious run-ins with Armin Budish. I mean, there's that description in court papers of Armin Budish basically going into his office to shake him down to fire Gary Brack, the guy Mm -hmm. who brought the whole jail thing to the fore. But he says no way, no how, not running for office. That's not in his plan. So we wish him well, and I think Cleveland owes him a debt of gratitude for what he did there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson and city council in such a hurry to use $12 million of the taxpayers' cash to bail out the financially troubled Shaker Square shopping complex? And why aren't they using the Federal American Rescue Plan dollars as they first announced? Lisa, this story is becoming more and more outrageous in my eyes because they want to use $12 million of the taxpayers' money for loans for a development that's valued at $5.6 million. Who is making out here? I would
2: say maybe the nonprofits. I don't know. I mean, this is a very kind of twisty. I mean, some city council members said this deal is confusing and complex, and it certainly is. I had to do some digging to kind of figure it out. So uh, they had some outside attorneys This told the city that, look, because Shaker Square is in bankruptcy, it's been financially unstable for years, and it's in declining physical condition that makes it ineligible for ARPA money. So what the city is seeking to take that $12 million from is ARPA money that was moved to the general fund. There was 108 million uh, in ARPA money that was moved to the general fund. So they wanna take it from that pot and that money was marked for revenue recovery. So this would be two loans. Loan number one of $6 million would be repaid when Shaker Square gets a new owner. They think that's gonna happen in three to five years. This would be after the renovation of the property. Loan number two, Six million would be forgiven when the property finally sells. But the reason the city's in a hurry is because this property is poised to go to a sheriff's sale. And they're worried that there's going to be no control over the bidders. They might break up the property into several parcels and a loan would keep the city involved in the future of Shaker Square. Also, the, the year is coming to an end. So they wanted to get it done, I guess, before Jackson leaves and, you know, before the end of the calendar year. But it's, it's very confusing because I guess the city, if I understand this right, The city of Cleveland wants to buy this from the bank, turn it over for repairs to Cleveland Neighborhood Progress and Burton Bell Car, and then it would be renovated and then sold to a new responsible owner. But yeah, the more you dig into it, the crazier it sounds.
1: Yeah, this, this stinks to the high heavens. You don't put $12 million of the public money behind something that's worth 5.6. And the arguments they're making, oh, it might go, let it go to sheriff's sale. Somebody will buy it, and that that business person will want to make money on it. So they will come up with a development plan. And the city saying it wants to have control. Any development plan that happens at Shaker Square has to be approved by multiple parts of city government and if they ultimately wanted some sort of subsidy which they always want the city would have to approve that, too, and could set conditions. There's something wrong with this. This, I mean, we're not getting a straight answer. The reason they couldn't use ARPA money is they couldn't prove that it was foundering because of the pandemic. It was foundering before the pandemic. So it's got a bad business model. It's not working. They're going to bail it out with twice as much as it's worth, and they're still not a working business model. I just – this one – I'm thrown by this. We're going to be digging in. Who is the lender that gets made whole? Who's behind that? And what are their connections to the people making these decisions? Something something very, very, very strange is going on here. So we'll see. We're digging into it. We'll be doing more on it. I don't understand the rush, and I don't understand the dollars. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With people around the planet scrambling to contain the recently discovered Omicron coronavirus variant— Ohio legislators will hold a hearing today on a bill that makes containment harder and not easier. Laura, what's the bill and what are they thinking?
3: Yep, this is House Bill 20, sorry, 218. The Ohio Senate General Government Budget Committee is expecting to hold its first hearing on it, and that's if The Ohio Senate Rules and Reference Committee assigns that bill to the committee today. But this is the idea that this is fighting COVID public health restrictions. It provides people broad exemptions from the requirement, vaccine requirements. They can get an exemption based on medical issues, natural immunity from previously having COVID, regions of conscience, including religious convictions, and people would not have to show proof of COVID vaccination when they enter businesses or public buildings. And people who work at train or work or train at children's hospitals or intensive care units would have to follow vaccine mandates under the bill, but they wouldn't get fired if they didn't. Their employers and schools would have to find something else for them to do with an equitable salary, basically. So. This, seems this is kind like, of thumbing thumbing the vaccine mandates.
1: Well, it seems like too. It's a very anti-business move. There are businesses that want to keep COVID out of the workplace. They want the ability to tell workers and and customers, you can't come in here if you're not vaccinated or you're not tested. So, this is this is another move that's become a trend across the country where Republicans are anti-business and it'll be the strangest thing if we see in america that the democratic party becomes the pro-business party and this is depriving businesses of their basic rights this is this is the republican party meddling in business and who would have ever thought those words would come out of our mouths
3: yeah absolutely i mean i feel like they're trying to do a balancing act right they have all these republicans who don't want to be told they have to get a vaccine so they're trying to stick up for those people who don't want to be vaccinated, but want to keep their jobs. And that's a base. But then, yeah, they've always been pro-business. And there are business and healthcare groups that oppose this bill. They hope it doesn't progress in the Senate because they want to be able to tell their employees what to do. So you have a really (laughs) wide coalition of people against this bill. And we've obviously seen a lot of iterations of it throughout this year. And it's got some strange bedfellows protesting against it.
1: The odd thing for me is that they're not really appealing to a large group. They're appealing to the fringiest of fringe wingnuts. Yeah, those are probably
3: the most... Devout Republican
1: because they vote in the primary. But it is by by no means a majority of people. And they do it while this new variant. And look, if if Omicron isn't the next dangerous variant, there will be another right. dangerous variant. That's the way coronaviruses work. They mutate, and mutate, and mutate. So we don't know yet quite how bad this is, although it looks like it's really contagious. So. I, it's, it's another timing thing where you just look at these guys and think, are you looking at the world? or right. are you just you're looking shutting at...
3: down borders and trying to protect their people. <laughs> We're it's like, like hey. they
1: watch Fox News and they read Josh Mandel tweets, and that is how they govern themselves. What does Fox News tell me to do, and how radical can I get to the fringiest of fringe? Crazy stuff happening in Columbus, but that seems like it's a daily story. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Did any Cleveland City Council members vote against the deal to renovate Progressive Field because shortfalls would have to be covered by the part of the budget that pays for police, garbage collection, and other vital services? Layla, I thought there was a tiny chance that they would push back on this and say, no, no, let's change this deal so that we protect the taxpayers so that they don't have to lose vital services so guys can play baseball. A few did, but not many.
0: <laughs> Come on, Chris. You've been around here long enough. <laughs> you know how this works. I mean, but actually, you're right. Three council members did vote against it: Mike Polensic, Brian Mooney, and Jenny Spencer. This is, you know, the $435 million deal to renovate the ballpark and to extend the Guardian's lease by 15 years. The city's contribution would equal about $8 million per year, largely comes from admission taxes and revenues from the city-owned Gateway East parking garage, but also a a small share from the general fund directly. And the supporters of the stadium say, you know, it's, it's a boon to the city. It brings in revenues from admission tax. It pumps money into the downtown economy. But the detractors are really worried that the cost will outweigh the, the benefits that the team brings to the city. They're uneasy about the fact that the city's general fund, which supports all the basic services, such as police and fire, that they're going to have to kick in $350,000 or more a year. They're concerned that the project is is not going to include enough contracts for minorities, women and and residents of Cleveland and these are all valid concerns. Um you know there was also the discussion about, you know, whether hinging so much of it on on the the Gateway East parking garage revenue is is wise in a in a culture where people are trying to get away from uh you know commuting by car and that sort of thing. I mean so, you know, and Mike Polencic, he brought up the, the fact that the team failed to follow through on promises that it made way back when the stadium was built in 1994. He doesn't trust them to honor their commitments now. So that's how that played out. But in the end, it passed. And, uh... And and the the team issued a statement, very you know grateful and and uh, and <laughs> kind of alluding to a promise of you know a World Series victory or something. Yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> Look,
1: the the thing that's sur- that it's sh- it's not surprising. The thing that's distressing here is the governments kept telling us, you know, the the guardians never threatened to leave. Yeah, that's because you never negotiated. You never pushed them. So the, basically the team came in, said, "Here's what we want." And they said yes sir and gave them what they wanted there was no negotiation yeah you should have pushed it you should have said you know what we're not exposing the general fund so go back to your drawing board let them threaten to leave and see how the public deals with that right right after their name change instead they just did what the team wanted there was we we never had a representative not urban budish not frank jackson not not city council not county council Say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's let's bargain here. This is a big ask of the taxpayer. Maybe there are other ways to do it. And push them. Make them think they might not get the deal. Let them threaten to pull out and come up with some sort of friction. There should be friction in a negotiation, right? Because you're both trying to get something that the other side doesn't want. There was never any friction here. Nice. They said, give us this, and they said, yes, sir, and st- Wrote the check. It's a sad day. I credit the three people that had the guts to vote no, because the pressure is immense. I do question whether Blaine Griffin is going to be a a true leader on city council, because he just knuckled under on this one with no fight whatsoever. You are listening- What? Go ahead. Oh,
0: no, 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 no. I was just going to concur with that. And, you know, I, I it occurs to me, I wonder to what extent uh, the, the Guardians take advantage of the fact that Cleveland is still kind of shell-shocked from the departure of the Browns long ago. And, uh, you know, is that is that still, does that still cast a pall over the city in a way but, that that enters into these negotiations and the dynamic there?
1: But they never even pushed them.
3: I, I mean, there, there was yeah, like
1: pride right. in the statement. Well, you know, they never threatened to leave. Well, then you didn't do your job. Yeah, right, right. there should have been pushback. <laughs> you know, there should have been a threat to leave. This is what you get. Either we get this much, or we'll leave. And but because they didn't push him to say that, they got you're everything right. they wanted. And
3: can I add? There was a whole lot more pushback with with the Cavs and Rocket Mortgage Field House. So, which okay.
1: was cheaper and right. serves a great deal more people from all walks of life. So. I mean, how many city residents actually go to a baseball game, whereas a lot of them go to the arena, whether it's for concerts or tractor pulls or circuses or what have you, and the Cavs? You're listening to Today in Ohio. The nation's supply chain problems will continue beyond 2021, it appears. So what will be in the shortest supply in Northeast Ohio this holiday season? Lisa, we put together a story looking at this. It's a lot of toys.
2: Well, and at the top of the list are semiconductor chips, and we've been hearing this in the news for months. Most of them are, um, you know, uh, manufactured in Asia. You know, a lot of those factories were shut down because of COVID. Also, you have a lot of people, manufacturers, hoarding chips in in anticipation of not finding them later. So anything with a chip in it, toys, phones, cars, appliances, large and small, will be in short supply. Um, And speaking of toys, not only is it a chip problem for toys that have them, there are higher labor costs, again, because most toys are manufactured in Asia, but also there are resin shortages and uh, You know These are used to make plastic toys, and then there are, of course, backlogs at the port. Also on the list are bicycles. We saw a huge jump in the demand for bicycles during the thick of the pandemic. People wanted to get outside and social distance and get exercise. And bicycles and bicycle parts are still very much in short supply, and that could stretch well into 2022. Also on the list, uh, shoes and clothes, raw materials needed to make them. There's a shortage of those here's one that might strike fear into the heart of some people <laughs> but beer there's a shortage of cans and also glass jars and bottles so beer and booze comes in cans and bottles um uh, also there's a big demand for things like bourbon and of course bourbon takes a few years you know it has to age for a while before it can be bottled and sold but there are record amounts of liquor products being shipped so that means some of the brands you may like will be in short supply for christmas
1: Well, if you can't get beer by the can or the bottle, you can always buy it by the keg. We'll have to see how that goes. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Giving Tuesday today is not a decade old, but is already a nonprofit fundraising juggernaut. So, which Greater Cleveland nonprofit agencies are looking for a big boost in donations today? Laura, my mailbox has just blown up. <laughs> I was going to say, We've... do you know
3: any that are not asking for money oh, today? My, it's just because
1: nonstop.
3: Even the Plain Dealer was sending out ways that you could give subscriptions to other people. So.
1: Yeah, and we're we're not a nonprofit, <laughs> no, so it's a little not. unusual there, but.
3: Yeah. So Giving Tuesday, which is historically held on the first Tuesday after Black Friday and Cyber Monday, really only came into effect in 2012, which you think, I I didn't realize that. But that's when we still talked about Cyber Monday and online shopping like it was something we didn't do every day. But it, it has roots in New York City at the 92nd Street Y and the Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact. In 2020, they raised $2.47 billion globally on this day. and non- Nonprofits certainly can use the help. Obviously, during the pandemic, some of them have been very stretched thin, such as like the Cleveland Food Bank. In 2020, uh, 20- 21 just this year. In June, 3,000 organizations revealed at least 25% that they're operating at a severely reduced capacity. So There's a whole long list of Cleveland area nonprofits with a presence on Giving Tuesday. They have a website at Giving Tuesday. Um, A lot of them are really small and niche, but like you said, I, I can't think of anything I've ever given to that's not asking me for help today. Everything from the library to the food bank to uh, Lake Erie Inc which we've supported in the past and uh, um, it, it's just where you want to give and where you want your dollars to count but
1: but with so many coming in do people do they get lost or do you think people just, it's a reminder that if you support two or three nonprofits, this is the reminder, oh, oh, write the check or you know, yeah, get, and, fill and, out the online form.
3: And I feel like they're they're playing on uh, the guilt a little bit. like how much money did you just spend on your kids, you know, chip whatever toy? Like you can give me ten bucks, right? This is the idea. We've shopped until we dropped. Now we should give to to the less fortunate.
1: Okay, well, let's let's see how they all do today. You're listening to today in Ohio. Cleveland City Council debated and debated Mayor Frank Jackson's proposal for spending the American Rescue Plan windfall. And Monday night, they passed it. Does it mean anything? Is any money going to be spent before Justin Bibb takes over from Jackson as mayor in January? Layla, I'm I'm baffled by (laughs) why they spent so much time on this because I don't actually think it means anything. But tell me if I'm wrong
0: no i don't think you're wrong i mean so much of this seems just kind of for show i mean i was surprised because i had i had kind of cynically just expected council to to make a big show out of all their hearings and brainstorming sessions and then very begrudgingly just pass the mayor's omnibus spending plan anyway but they actually found a way to pretty much neuter his plan by working around many of the specifics that he laid out. They ended up endorsing the broad spending categories like housing and economic development projects and emergency rental food assistance programs and small business development programs and things like that, also lead safe housing, but they declined to adopt most of the details about which programs and projects specifically would get funded, leaving all those decisions to the next mayor and the council to to, to decide. So. Council approved the $80 million for community and economic development and $15 million for demolition, but they're not attached to specific projects the way Jackson wanted, and each expense greater than $50,000 will come back for council approval. So some of the projects they wanted to do might get done, but, you know, the administration was bummed about that. Um, You know, the only the only category where they granted the mayor's request was public safety, and that was mostly because some council members were a little panicked that if they wait too long to purchase the vehicles and equipment that the city needs, most of the vendors will be sold out because, frankly, every city is trying to buy that stuff with their stimulus money. So they you know they pulled the trigger so to speak on the public safety spending but even that was kind of controversial the city wants to buy riot gear and vehicles to use during times of unrest councilman Kerry McCormick said that the thing resembles a tank many in council find that inappropriate so it wasn't without controversy but that was the only thing that they gave the, you know Jackson there
1: it, it it's bizarre to me uh, that they they put this energy into it because if i'm hearing you right Justin Bibb, Blaine Griffin could take their positions as mayor and council president come January first, and say, you know what? Let's use a hundred million and eradicate lead paint in Cleveland. We're not really caring what we did last right. year. That's true. And they could, they could award that. And so it's, it's. I get why the council did it as a sign of respect to Jackson to give him something, but it's meaningless. And I don't understand why Jackson pushed it because. I mean, unless he's just trying to hold on, I mean, he has less than a month left as mayor. A month, uh, one month from today, the to, to January first, he will end his sixteen-year term. Why did he push this so hard? Do you have any idea?
0: I don't. I don't. Except you know, he has made some comments that sort of intimate that maybe he doesn't think Justin Bibb is ready for this job that lays ahead Maybe he wanted to kind of lay out a road map that he thought would help guide Justin Bibb to make the right decisions well, <laughs> about ARPA is, money
3: If that's
1: but true that's very condescending. But it is condescending maybe.
0: but isn't Frank Jackson sometimes condescending? let's be honest.
1: I, yeah, but I think he would have been more effective if he would have just talked to Justin Bibb and said, here's what I'm thinking. Let me put it in your hands. You, you, you amend it as you wish and take it to council in January. This this looks lame. This this looks like a lame duck move. You know, and Jackson doesn't like looking weak. This looks weak. It, it, you know, so I don't know. We'll see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's get one more in. How many Northeast Ohio students were among the winners of the one 10,000? 10,000 Vax to school scholarships announced Monday. Is it too late to get in on the next round? I know, Laura and Layla, now that you have vaccinated
3: children, you got your names in. My kids are not on this list. I'm just going to put that out. You know,
0: let me just say that when I saw this story come out, I I checked to make sure I didn't miss
2: a call from the governor. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, he did not
3: call me either.
1: Lisa, what's the deal?
2: Okay, yesterday, there's 150 of these $10,000 scholarships available. And yeah, you can't register anymore. That closed a while back. So they announced the 30 winners yesterday. There will be 30 announced every day at 3.30 until Friday. And then on 7.30 this Friday, they will be announcing five $100,000 winners. And this will be announced during the Ohio Lottery broadcast on TV. Now you can still sign up for the $100,000 scholarship through midnight this Wednesday so midnight tomorrow and this can be used for you know any college university technical or trade school of your choice so if you want that hundred thousand sign up before Wednesday
1: okay you're listening to today in Ohio thank you Lisa, thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to those who listen to this podcast. And please do us the favor, go to cleveland.com slash today survey and let us know how you heard about us and some other details about what you think of this podcast.